Welcome to the Constructing Greatness Podcast, where I will be sharing real stories with inspiring tradesmen and many other driven and passionate leaders in construction and various other industries. I'm your host, Nicholas Ofak, and I've been in the construction business since 1996 as a construction manager and have worked for some of the largest builders in the United States. I'm now a business owner entrepreneur, and partner in a firm where we've successfully managed to be listed on the Inc. 5000, America's fastest growing private companies, three years in a row. The main purpose of this podcast is to inspire and create awareness about the value of working in the trades and to educate about the great benefits and rewarding opportunities it can create. Are you ready to take this fun journey with me? Let's do it. For the past eight years, RDL Construction LLC has been servicing the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland markets, specializing in the installation of exterior and interior metal framing, drywall, acoustical ceilings, doors, and hardware, along with bathroom accessories and FRP. Check them out. Their website is RDL Construction LLC. Dot com. Today, I have a very interesting guest. I met this gentleman approximately three months ago. He's an expert in pharmaceutical and branding and advertising. He's been doing that for a long time, but he's known in our town as the newest brewery, brewer. He actually is a co-founder and tap manager at Swedesboro Brewing Company. And before I get into that story and how that came about, let me introduce him. Marvin Bo, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Real pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. I'm glad we can connect and make this happen. I wanted to actually go back to the beginning of your, let's say, career. And you you actually have a degree in graphic design at Arcadia University. Yep. With a uh, concentration in medical illustration, that's how I got into uh, pharmaceuticals. Okay. And I see you graduated the same year I did, 97. Love it. You actually, after graduating, you started as a fine arts professor at uh, Northeast Catholic High School? I was actually a working uh, professional at that time, and it was a trend towards bringing in elective professors or teachers that actually taught in the trade. So and you probably heard the age old expression, you know, those who can, can, those who can't teach. And so um, they were really pushing to get commercial artists and others alike to teach the program to kind of get kids involved and hearing from the perspective of an actual professional artist. So at the time I was an art director and I taught for five years uh, North Catholic while I was an art director. So I had to, two jobs. And uh, it wasn't until I got promoted to creative director running the entire agency that I resigned my position. I probably would have still been teaching if it wasn't for that transition. Got it. So you you had a passion for that or probably still do, right? <laughs> I just like helping, helping people in general. I think uh, if people talk to me about what type of archetype I am, they usually call me the professor or a history nerd or something that geeks out about information <laughs> and sharing content. That's why I work so well in the tap room. <laughs> uh, no, I love it. And we're going to get into that because the, just the history of that and, and some of the things that you've done in, in terms of the branding, it's really interesting. You worked at Hal Lewis Group for eight years as a creative director. And that's an advertising agency, correct? Yeah, it's one of the oldest in Philadelphia. So I 
I was moonlighting. I was doing a lot of different jobs. I had my son, when I, my wife and I had, had our son when we were in college. So I was, a, I was working, bought my first house at uh, age 20. So anyway, I was doing a lot of freelance back in that era was um, building a lot of websites. It was the dot-com boom. And so I would, you know, scour the newspaper and look for help wanted ads. Um, and a lot of people were wanting to build websites. So it was very lucrative for me at the time. And I answered a, a freelance call in the newspaper and it was a pharmaceutical company to launch a drug uh, website. And I didn't know what the term in-house freelance meant at the time. I just thought I would go pick up a package like I typically did, take it home, do the work, and bring it back. And they offered me a position as a freelance designer, studio designer. And so I went in and I, I developed the, the website and a few other things. And uh, they hired me full time. And the rest was history. Very cool. And then moving from there, you pretty much were doing the same thing with a company called Navicore Group. And appears that you pretty much did everything there from what I'm seeing. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, the interesting thing was I did really well at Hal Lewis, became creative director before 30. So it was one of those 30, 30 before 30 or something. And one of my clients was a, a vice president of Bristol Myers Squibb. He ran the virology and oncology division. Well, he became the president of a startup company called Navicor. And I was recruited to talk with them. And once I found that he was the president, um, and I met some of the senior staff there, which there were only, I think I was employee number 12. Um, they haven't been bad. They haven't even launched their uh, their branding yet. I got hired. I actually took a step down. I was hired as an associate creative director for a very short period of time. It doesn't show up on my resume because it was only about ninety days. They had somebody a uh, creative director that didn't work out, and shortly after that, I took over. And so, yeah, I was there uh, almost fifteen years. Um, made it up to chief operating officer. I was responsible pretty much all of the staff, with the exception of finance, reported to me. Finance and HR. Uh, reported to me. And then we got to about somewhere around 150 employees. And then I, uh, the president retired and I offered to open up a satellite office in Philadelphia to come back home. And so I was in uh, Columbus, Ohio for about 10 years, then moved to Philadelphia and started a satellite office, which eventually became the, uh, the largest of the two offices. And I think by the time I left five years later, we were somewhere around 18 million in billing. So we were pretty successful and, and I was pretty happy with the turnout there. Wow. Quite the experience. I mean, you were the managing director in Philly, correct? That's correct. Yes. And it, it appears December 2018 came and it looks like that's when you, you decided to take, I guess, a leap of faith in yourself and start your own advertising agency, Correct. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, it, it was uh, probably a combination of a number of things, even a uh, even a push in some ways to try my own thing. But um, the company went public a year prior, and uh, there were a lot of changes in leadership and a lot of uh, uh, different advances and evolutions that occurred that I uh, decided to keep my boat docked on that one and uh, started my own uh, shop. Great. And that shop is called... Biophilia yep. Partners, correct? That's correct. Biophilia <laughs> Partners. Yep. The, the, uh, the Philly is the same root word as uh, Philadelphia. The love of is Greek for love of and biology life. So it's uh, the agency represents the love of life sciences, which is what we focus on. No, very cool. I was checking out the website. You know, I, I love that name. And you've been doing that going on for two years did you start that company around the same time that you were looking to start 
your you know new brewing uh, adventure? Yeah. It looks like the timeline's close. <laughs> timelines overlapped quite significantly, yeah, but uh, it wasn't the intention. COVID slowed things down, which kind of caused us to kind of launch both companies almost at the same time. But in 2018, I had a non, you know, I had a corporate non-compete. So, um, focused on developing the company for a year. And then 2019, we were, we were free to go about uh, work, which we did. And, uh, we started developing uh, clients and everything would have scaled up fine if it wasn't for the following year, 2020, causing a huge panic. Most of our clients for the, for the agency, um, we're smaller than what I was accustomed to. I wasn't working at the, you know, the Fortune 100 blue chip pharmaceutical companies. It was more of the startups and the uh, and the subsidiaries and the secondary services within the industry. So all those were extremely vulnerable. Most big pharmaceutical companies are recession resistant, you know, pandemic resistant, et cetera. But for us, we were working with smaller companies that were managing budgets and had huge concerns. So needless to say, 2020 had a major hit on our agency and, and then recovered towards the tail end after the second uh, half of the year. Got it. So you had a little bit of time then to uh, go after some other passions of yours yeah. in, in the 2020. And, and that's when you established Swedes Brewing Company, but you didn't open until actually it was just this spring, correct? It was in May, if I recall correctly. Yes, May 21. Yeah, because I came in about a month after you opened, and uh, that's when we met and uh, got to try your great beers. And speaking of which, you have 14 on tap right now. Is that correct? Well, it fluctuates. So okay. now if, I, if I had to guess, I would say we have 11 probably right now on tap. Okay. Is El Mache, is that a new one, the Mexican lager? I don't remember seeing yeah. that one. Yeah, so if you're probably looking at them on the website, there are foundational beers, so we, and we do have 14. El Mapache is uh, Mexican for raccoon which is a flagship uh, brand. El Mapache is going to be a Mexican cerveza or a Mexican lager. And uh, we actually have two recipes um, so far for that, a possible third in the making. But it, that is going to be introduced September 16th. We're going to have uh, tasting. So we're only brewing about a barrel or two, uh, two half kegs. Got it. I got to come in and uh, try that one. I saw that on the website. I'm like, I don't remember seeing that one, but uh, that piques my interest for sure. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Nick. I have a short message from our sponsor, MPC Builders. With well over 40 years of combined construction-related experience in both the residential and commercial markets, MPC Builders services the New Jersey and Philadelphia metro areas. Check out our website at mpcbuilders.net or you can call me directly at 856-217-1750 and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about your construction project. How did Swedesboro Brewing Company come about with you and your partner? How did that happen? If you could talk through that with us. Absolutely. I'll tie it all together for you. So the interest in brewing started in college while I was studying to be a medical illustrator. I had a biochemistry teacher who used was discussing uh, single-celled organisms and used yeast and the fermenting process as the example and so shortly after that, my roommate, who was actually a biochemist major, we went back and we started fermenting all types of things. Uh, we fermented orange juice, apple juice, and then we started making beer. I continued to make beer at home on and off for I had about 20 years. I just got rid of my equipment about two years before we opened up the brewery. And um, my partner, Kevin, actually is my partner in the advertising agency as well. Yeah, so Kevin 
is a farm D. He went to the University of Sciences. He's an academic also. He teaches at the university level. He's a, a public speaker. He's a public health specialist, and he's a published author and has written peer-reviewed articles, hundreds of them, if, or dozens, if not hundreds. And uh, so anyway, I've known Kevin for over 20 years now, and uh, we were working in the agency, and I actually was developing the brewery uh, independently, and then uh, we got into discussions. I was, I was negotiating with someone else to be a partner in the, on the brewery side, and Kevin was interested, and, and I offered him the opportunity, and he took it. And we've been uh, partnering in both businesses ever since. Awesome. And, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that, too, with the investor piece. You know, what you did with the local opportunities with the crowdfunding, it, it was really neat. And, and if you could talk through that process, because I think it's really interesting. I haven't seen something proposed like that for local investors. And just talk about how that went and, and the success of it. Absolutely. So it was a huge success. We were looking to get about 10% of our, our total expenses covered by the investment. And this was really attributed to the increased cost uh, due to COVID. Um, all our, our construction costs went up. And then also in preparation for another shutdown, perhaps, we wanted to make sure that we got the infrastructure in place for canning, things like that. But um, the process was actually fairly easy. It is complicated for breweries uh, in general. They don't, they like to make sure that they know where every dollar is coming from. And so we had to make sure um, that this wasn't simply crowdfunding, but crowd investing. And that's, there's a huge delineation between the two. Everybody's familiar with like GoFundMe and things like that, um, where people gift money in the brewing industry or the alcohol industry that's prohibited. This, these laws date back to prohibition. You know, they want to make sure that the money's not being, you know, laundered or, or mafia connections and things like that. So the investment had to be SEC sanctioned. And so it, to us, it comes across as a loan. To the community, it comes across as an investment. The only stipulations that we had as, as the, um, the loan owner or holder was that we wanted to make sure that the interest rate was good enough that the people would be interested. So we actually opted for a higher interest rate, close to 10%, because the duration of term was 36 months. It wasn't a huge return on your investment. So I wanted to make sure the interest rate was as high as it could be for the investors. I was skeptic at first, if you want my honest opinion. I didn't think anybody would invest the amount of money we were looking for. I didn't think anybody would invest in a product that they weren't able to sample uh, yet. And so I thought this would have been a really nice way after we were established to develop and grow further. But we gave it a shot and a few family members invested early on, which motivated others. And, and sure enough, so the majority of the money that came to us came from strangers, pure community people interested in, in wanting to see this happen. And it was, it was really um, rewarding. Yeah. It. I mean, I saw the social media, you know, post and just the amount of attention and interest. It was really neat to see. And, and just the package that you presented. Well done. Well done. It was good. And then just the history of Swedesboro and, and the local community and how you connected your your branding and your logo. Can you talk through that? Because it's your website does a really good job of, of explaining that, but I, I'd love for you to talk about it in your own words and how that came about. No problem. So when my wife and I moved back from Columbus, Ohio, we wanted to find an area that was similar to where we were raising our kids already. And when we looked at the, the demographics and the offerings and the, and the properties, et cetera, we found Woolwich Township and within it, Swedesboro. 
And we fell in love with the area right away. So we moved to Sweetsboro and we've been here now almost 12 years. And everything about the town, I felt it was like one of the best kept secrets. It wasn't well understood or known outside of the small town of 2,500 people or so. So uh, as part of the development of the brewery, I wanted to kind of pay homage to the town. We could have named, I mean, we're branding experts. We could have named this brewery anything we wanted to. And it probably could have got much bigger recognition with a clever name uh, rather than a town name. But we had a, an interesting business model in that our focus is not to sell the, the brewery to some big you know, conglomerate like InBev or something like that. But rather, we trademarked and licensed each individual brand. So if one brand takes off and a large conglomerate's interested in it, perhaps there may be a licensing deal with that brand, but not the brewery itself. I want the brewery to remain in Sweetsboro forever, kind of like a local watering hole and part of the community. So back to your, your original question, where the name came from and the mascot and things like that. So uh, the area was originally established by the Native Americans, I should say. Sorry, I apologize for that. And that tribe were friends and became friends with the early settlers, the, the Swedish and, and the Finns that came over. And a lot of things that we know today were uh, really attributed to the success and partnership between the two groups of people. So our, our names kind of represent that. Like, for example, uh, Naratikan translates in the English speaking to raccoon. And so the early settlers used to refer to the area as raccoon town. And that's where our mascot, Hoppy, the raccoon, came from. So I know a lot of people know Queensboro as the dragons from the high school. But in fact, the raccoon is probably a more appropriate term. And you'll see this name all over, like Raccoon Creek, for example, and a lot of other references. And there's a lot of history in the town. And a lot of famous uh, people are, were either raised here, born here, or died here, and are buried here. So, for example, our American Pale Ale, inspired by Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale is named after a general from the from the Civil War, Harker and Charles Harker and Hark and we call it Harker's Glory. And then we have some others like Three Sisters. Three Sisters is representative of the three harvests uh, that happened uh, each year, and one being corn or maize, as they refer to it, beans like soy that you still see here, and squash. And in fact, our, our harvest beer, we're going to take three sisters and do a harvest version like an Oktoberfest or a pumpkin spice beer. But we're going to actually use butternut squash as representative of the, of the area. And you keep going that each one of them kind of linked to one another. So um, Raccoon IPA is, is named after the town, Raccoon Town. The three sisters, which are the tribe that Raccoon name came from. And that's where we got the, the Amber Ale that we, that's doing really well. Uh, Burroughs Best is branded with the Swedish flag and has like a family crest. Uh, that's our Pilsner. Um, we're very proud of our Pilsner. That's a that's a beer that um, we feel if we're going to evaluate a brewery on, evaluate them on a uh, on a Pilsner because there's nowhere to hide. And so we intentionally named that Burroughs Best. We wanted to make sure that we were going to live or die by the quality of our beer, so we named that one uh, Burroughs Best. Flying Steagle, you might know the, the story behind the around 1943 or during World War II, there weren't enough uh, professional athletes on the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers team, so they merged to form one team. Uh, there's actually a gentleman that was born in Swedesboro. Uh, his last name's Lux. He moved to Collingswood. I'm not sure the reason there, but he moved to Collingswood to play football at Collingswood High School, probably because recruits were going there. 
And he was one of the first drafts to the team, the Steagles, and actually was referred to as the Flying Steagles. So we named it after him. And yeah, there's there's great stories with each and every one of the uh, brands, but they all tie back to some origin or history. Even our other our West Coast style IPA, which is referred to as Piney IPA, many, many people refer to the peppery piney notes in the West Coast or American style IPAs. And so we thought Piney would be a nice name. But um, before we took the extra step of naming it Piney, we wanted to make sure that that term wasn't derogatory. And in fact, many of the Finns and Swedes that uh, migrated here, they took to the to the Pine regions and they, they preferred those areas. They, they actually named it the Pine Barrens because until they started to learn uh, how to farm from the, from the Native Americans, they thought that the area was desolate and barren. They also, um, the Swedes are the ones that brought log cabins to America. And so the pine uh, trees were actually really good. They were almost already prepped to build log cabins. Uh, in fact, one of the oldest log cabins is still here today in, uh, in Swedesboro. And that's why we named our porter uh, Cabin Fever. So there's a lot of tie to uh, all the activity that has occurred uh, in the area. Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, history lesson there. So moving forward, every new beer that you bring, you know, or create is going to have some kind of tie to the local town. You know, like, for example, um, we have a series of beers we call Brewer Select, which is an experimental series. Uh, My partner, Kevin, and our head brewer, Andrew, they're always experimenting, taking traditional styles and seeing that there's a, a twist or a spin to improve upon what has been mastered for so long. And the first one they did was a Hefeweizen, a wheat beer that they dry hopped. And they dry hopped it on the end so it has a subtle kind of IPA or pale ale flavor note to it at the end. And we introduced this beer as we would all all brewer selects to our patrons to say, if this beer outpaces one of our top four beers while it's on tap, then we'll invest and make it a production beer. Well, the first one when we launched the brewery was... We call it, you know, we just call it Brewer Select until we decide to invest in it. And when we got the feedback and it only took about three weeks and we realized it was, it was pacing at like number three on our list. We named it Hoppy Bison. So it's a Hefe Bison that's hopped in the beginning. So Bison uh, means wheat and hop, you know, Hoppy means hop. So um, we tied it together and the branding is actually our, our raccoon tail walking in a field of wheat. So that one's not necessarily inspired by a 200-year-old story from Sweetsboro, but a story from the invention of the beer here at the brewery. Got it. And that raccoon's name is Hoppy, right? Right. <laughs> Good stuff. And just, you know, relative to moving, moving forward with the brewery business, do you see any future expansion? Like, well, what's next for you? You know, obviously you're going to be creating new beers and, and you want to create that destination, which which I, I really want to say, I think that's why a lot of the investors, locals were interested too, because they're connected with Swedesboro. They're connected with Woolwich Township, which surrounds Swedesboro. And I think them having that connection with a local brewery name that says Swedesboro Brewery, I, I think that had a lot to do with people's interest. But just going with expansion, do you see anything uh, in the near future? Yeah, we do. In fact, before we even launched, my partner and I wrote a five-year business plan, and we're on track. If anything, we're accelerating, so it's, it's really nice. But our goal has always been to be a production beer. So, you know, in the near future, you're going to see our beers in more liquor stores and bars and restaurants. We're already in, in, uh, in a few local bars and restaurants, Center Square Tavern, Bottos. 
Brody's actually has four beers on, of ours on tap. And we're talking to a few other uh, groups right now. And then um, down in Burlington County, White Eagle, or used to be referred to as Dirty Bird, has had quite a few of our um, beers in cases and cans uh, down there. And so we're looking to expand in that regard as well. The thing is, it's the slow growth has been mostly due to the success of the tap room. We can't keep the beer in the tap room right now, which is, you know, it's a good problem to have. So I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, our goal our goal is to expand. Um, we have plans to increase production even within the current space. We're going to be talking with our landlord and opportunities to expand our footprint where we are um, today. But in the future, we have quite a few um, scenarios to expand, either putting emphasis in production, so maybe not a bigger uh, tasting room, but an off-site um, production facility, or perhaps just expanding and doing an independent standing building uh, somewhere in Sweetsboro. Got it. Got it. I can see that happening because you guys are certainly growing. It's uh, always busy and I hear a lot of a lot of good things. I got to get back in there. I've only been there once, but I will be back. Have you ever heard of aeroponic gardening? It's the future of gardening and it is here now. Developed by NASA and Epcot, this gardening system goes upright so it takes up less space as well as 98% less water. It is dirtless and produces three times more fruits and vegetables at a 30% faster rate. If you're looking to change up the way you eat or want to try a gardening system that takes minimal effort, contact my old friend Tara at 717-433-4207 or check out for more information at T. Sesek. That's T-S-A-K-S-E-K dot TowerGarden.com. Moving forward with the things that you're passionate about outside of what you do as a profession. I know you're, you're an avid runner, right? And, you, and you're a bicyclist, if I recall. Right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, even a swimmer, just not as good as the other two. So. <laughs> yeah, I played basketball my whole life. I was actually at, at a client's office at one time and tore some ligaments in my foot playing basketball with the group. And my doctor told me that I could do anything that didn't involve lateral movement. So that's when I started focusing on straight, <laughs> straight activities. So running, cycling. I picked up cycling in, in 2010 and then probably a year later was part of a cycling team that spends one week in July every year cycling across the state of Iowa, uh, 500 miles in seven days. And it's a huge adult party. It's kind of like a spring fling of 14,000 people. And it, and yeah, so cycling has become infectious and, uh, and I love cycling the, uh, the farm roads uh, in South Jersey. So you can get lost just traveling through some of these windy roads out here. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so outside of, of those, anything else that you're passionate about? Yeah. I mean, I, I so <laughs> a lot actually. So yeah, that, long you know, list. <laughs> well, as you know, I'm an artist, so I oftentimes offer my services for free to people like businesses that need logos and stuff. If, if, if there's a compelling reason, I'll, I'll offer my help. Uh, I was at a beer fest just this weekend and one of the companies that was there, you know, him, him and his wife at a startup and they've been in business for about five years. And he said, you guys have been in business less than, less than five months and, and you look like more established than we, we are. And we've been in business for five years. So I told him it would be hard for me to put together the same setup for him. So I'm working on that for him now. And I, okay. I, don't, I don't even know his last name. 
But um, oh, I, very like, cool. I like woodworking. I like building cabinets. I, like, I actually like building anything. Uh, I, I built all the cabinets in the, uh, in the brewery just out of plank boards, uh, reclaimed uh, pallet boards. But um, yeah, I like doing that. Um, my wife and I like gardening. She's more of a farmer than I am, but mm-hmm. uh, so just creating stuff, coming up with ideas. I like being outside. I like being outdoors. Uh, so camping, fishing, things like that. Yep. Long list. And uh, I have one as well. Good stuff. Any hiking or rock climbing, anything like that? or No, nothing extreme. Uh, no extreme rock climbing, but uh, hiking, yes. Uh, Appalachian Trail, Jim Thorpe. The black ponds, yeah, or uh, black ponds rather up there. Yeah, I, I definitely like hiking. Definitely like being outside. I camped my whole life. My younger brother was born on a campground, so we, uh, yeah, up until uh, my kids moved away, I would say uh, we probably camped at least once a year. Yeah, yeah, we liked it too until the kids were like, they didn't want to do it anymore, so we stopped. But <laughs> but it was fun while it lasted. I think a whole four years with them. So, you know, you know a little bit about this podcast, you know, if someone wants to, you know, get into my profession, construction, get into something that they're passionate about, even your profession, be, become a brewer. I'd like you to tie in a little bit to you had, uh, you know, reached out to me when we were emailing with your daughters and just just how you encourage them and just kind of tie in how you can encourage somebody to follow their heart, follow their passion and what advice you would give them. Well, first advice I'd give anyone just for a number of reasons. One, cost uh, is a big reason, but college isn't for everyone. Now, there are some careers that if you are interested in, you may not have another choice. I I didn't have a choice with graphic arts. It was, and the the line of profession I was looking to get into, it was not as feasible to me without a college degree. So that that kind of set my precedent. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I really had one talent in life. If I didn't use it, I was going to lose it. So I pursued my uh, commercial arts just based on my artistic ability as, as, a, as a young kid. You know, the one thing I, I try to say is don't waste too much time on short-term goals. I know it's hard in the beginning. I came from nothing, so I know exactly what it's like. And probably the reason why I worked three or four jobs is because I didn't want to compromise on any one of them at the time. But those who... Um, take a slow pace or, or focus on, well, let me, let me just get this job over here and make some money and I'll focus on my career and passion path, you know, after I get established at time, you can't get that time back. And so if you're going to do it, I say do both uh, at the same time. If you need to focus on short term goals, keep your long-term goals moving and don't give up on them. So if that means doing double time, then, then, then do it. You're never going to have the energy you have when you're 20, you know, when you're 40 and 50. So my two kids, um, I have a 26-year-old son and a 22-year-old daughter. My son went to university. I ended up actually with a biology degree, works in a bio lab now down in Johnson City. Actually, I have his shirt on right here. (laughs) And uh, my daughter, she's actually having a a ball right now, but she went to school. She went to cosmetology school, and now she actually evolved her uh, career into bar management, and she's uh, managing a, a bar coffee shop bar in Vail, Colorado. So she started in Vermont and now she's in Vail. Uh, yeah, she's our second. That's my favorite town. Amazing. But she knew in the beginning that the types of things that they were pushing her into is not what she was interested in. She's creative also, but she's a different kind of creative than me. And so she got into dyeing hair and doing all that stuff and she got really good at it. So she can do it anywhere and that gives her the means. So her career is more on focusing on quality of life and being able to, to, sustain or afford the lifestyle 
that she chooses. So that's what she's doing. And so I supported her wholeheartedly in that regard. I'm also, my, my whole family's, uh, you know, union workers, police officers, et cetera. So uh, I'm actually the first person in my family to go to college. So it's not, the, it's not the norm in my family. And so therefore, and I tell people this all the time, even if you are in college, probably the reason why I'm good at certain things, you got to learn how to do stuff. So I, I learned how to do woodworking. I could build a whole house if I needed to, you know, construction stuff. Never be afraid to get your hands dirty. Never be afraid to put in the grind. And never stop learning. You know, if, if I had to give a second piece of advice to anyone listening is make sure that you're always learning, always be learning. I tell people all the time, you know, when, when you close your mind to other people's opinions, you become very myopic in your view. And even if you feel that the, what the person's saying is something you already know, listen anyway. You know, and it's not just your elders, it's young people. I, I got teachers that work for me. Right now, some of them as young as 26 years old, they teach me things every day. And so I make sure I listen to everybody all the time. It's not going to hurt. It's free. You know, take the advice, listen to it, and learn from it. Yep. Different perspectives. Absolutely. Yep. Now, good stuff. Did you learn how to do, use your hands with woodworking? Did you get taught that through your family, your father, or, or is it just something that you yeah, kind of learned? Yeah, um, unfortunately, I, I lost my father in high school. Uh, uh, substance abuse. And so I, I was 17 and he was 34, but he was my best friend before that. He taught me a lot of things. Uh, he taught me art. Uh, he taught me fishing. He taught me, yeah, how to be hands-on. He was a welder and a mechanic. But uh, honestly, I, I can't point to one person. Um, I, you know, I probably got into home remodeling and things like that because I bought my first house at 20 and it was a makeshift road in Philadelphia. And by the time I was done, I pretty much knew how to do everything. And then, and then I was also the oldest in my family. So people relied on me and I became in a lot of ways, a supporter of my aunts, uncles and parents. So people would ask me, can you come over? Can you fix this? Can you rewire this? Can you refinish that? And that's, so that's how I got good at that. But it was really either for two reasons. One, because I needed to out of necessity or two, I was frugal and I wanted to save my money on, on the cost of it. So I learned to do it myself. But the other thing is, like I said, my whole family was hands-on blue collar. So it wasn't, I felt like I needed to know those things also, you know, because others knew it. And so I never wanted to be that guy that went to college and then actually learned less. So, so in a lot of ways, I tried to keep my roots and understand how to, if I needed to go back. And there were times that I was unemployed that I, I went to refinishing cabinets and things like that. So there's always something I could fall back on. And I've done that many times. I've done it even as, as recently as last year. Yep. You're a constant learner. Love it. So if anyone was want to get in contact with you, you know, you want to just give your website address, your socials, how people can connect with you in both firms, both companies. Sure. So uh, we'll start with Sweetboro. So our website, sweetboroughbrewing.com. You can reach us on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook at Sweetboro Brewing, the same as the website. Instagram, interestingly enough, is Hoppy Raccoon is our Instagram handle. Um, he has his own identity and uh, he can be followed on, uh, on Instagram. Unfortunately, someone took the uh, handles on Instagram for Sweet Row Brewing and, uh, and wanted to try to sell them back to me. And I wasn't willing to do those negotiations. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's what I say too. But yeah, unfortunately, wow. unfortunately that happened. And, oh uh, boy. I wasn't willing to negotiate with them. So I don't blame you. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, Biophilia is Biophilia Partners. 
My email address is mbo at biophiliapartners.com. We do have a Facebook page as well, and you can look us up uh, that way also. We also have a Twitter uh, Twitter handle for Biophilia Partners. Good stuff. Appreciate you sharing. And thank you again for joining me today, you know, and making time for this. Uh, I was looking forward to it and I can't wait to come back in, uh, taste some beers I haven't tried yet. <laughs> me too. <laughs> thank you again. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Constructing Greatness podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at nicholasofac at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.